I'm Paul White, and I've been a professional wrestler for over 30 years. And I know every time I step in the ring, Paul White is, is getting That's why I double value for his ad. With amino heel. Go to aminoheel.com. Sorry, I'm, I'm skipping your... the ad. Hi, I'm no, Paul White, and again? I've been a professional wrestler for over 30 years. Okay. And I know every time I step no, no, in the gonna, ring, I'm disappearing for now. Go, enjoy. So these guys want to talk about J.K. Rowling? Is that, so what's going on with that? What do you want to know? Uh, she's, she's had a pretty controversial past. I just want to know, like, what are your thoughts on it? Like, do you still like her work despite her uh, bigoted opinions? So let's get specific, though. Let's define bigoted opinions. What opinions are bigoted? We're going to treat this as a thought experiment. I'm not going to say yeah. what's right or wrong or what way to think. The whole point is to learn how to think, not what to think. Yeah. yeah. So when you say bigot, you, you're you're starting with the conclusion that, given her bigoted opinions. Yeah. So first, her, let's uh, start with, does she have bigoted opinions? So when you when you say bigoted opinions, she has had a history of being extremely transphobic. I've heard. And you've heard. So what? Can you give me an example? Uh if you look at her Twitter, I think uh, you could see a few things. Um, if you want, I could try and find yeah, see something. If you can find, see if you can find one. So, one of these tweets that she came up with in 2019, she said, Dress however you please, call yourself whatever you like, sleep with any consenting adult who will have you um, live your best life in peace and security, but force women out of their jobs for starting that for stating that sex is real. So you find that bigoted? What do you find about it was in there? It was deemed transphobic. Like, I myself... Do you find that transphobic yourself? Uh, I don't really have an opinion on it, but I'm just going with what a lot of other people have said. So let's pause it. Let's not go with what other people are saying. Let's try and learn how to critically think. So let's analyze the tweet ourselves. So that statement... Do you see anything problematic disregarding other people's opinions? Um, she did try and... That's actually the hardest thing right there. Disregarding other people's opinions. Especially for an impressionable, impressionable of youth. Of people, where, does she, where does she do that? do that? Can you read that? But force women out of their jobs for stating that sex is real. So when I hear that, I'm interpreting that as meaning... If a woman says that, you know, saying that there's a difference between men and female. I'm going to let this play. So for those of you who haven't seen it, I think that's what she's also while everyone tries it. Attacking someone for stating that sex is real. Taylor Swift That is exactly it. what she's saying. Is that I, transphobic to you? So, to me, no. Stating that sex is real is not transphobic. It's just a fact of life. Mm -hmm. It exists. One that has so become controversial. Agree with in that tweet? Uh... In that tweet, I can't really see anything that I myself disagree with, but I can see why some people would think, oh, this is offensive. We can't have that here or something. Because, sure. Uh, there's an apology tweet. What um, is she, let's read that. What did she say there? I haven't read that. I respect every I, I need to know if he actually hadn't read that. I think he did. Any way that feels authentic and comfortable to them, I'd march with you if you were discriminated against on the basis of being trans. At the same time, my life has been shaped by being female. I do not believe it is hateful to say so. Um, you see anything problematic there? She's apologizing, so... 
Is no, she? not really. Um, if I if I could read it again, it sounds like a, the same, a very similar statement as what she was just saying. She's basically saying like, I have nothing. To me, this is what I interpret as I have nothing against someone being trans. Exactly. Your life, but you just don't get to impose on my. You can live how you want. I can live how I want. Yeah. And let's all you know. Exactly. So I guess now, so now that we're looking at it like, oh, there's not much difference between me or her. Do you how? Why do you? Do you think it's fair that there's a that she's being attacked by a large group of people and people are calling her like you said at the beginning of this conversation you said given the fact that J.K. Rowling is transphobic how do you feel about Harry Potter now yeah. retroactively looking at that statement do you think that that was the best way to phrase no I feel like an idiot now it's <laughs> okay though but this is why we do this to learn, to yeah. learn that, that that's the best punchline. Um, punchline in a good way ever. Now, I, I was talking with Warren off, uh, off set, behind stage, offline is the word. And I, I said like, I'm gonna say this and I, I say, I'll, I'll say it before you come on because I don't, you know, this, we're still talking about a kid and this teacher obviously has the utmost respect for the kid and there's no but to that. I haven't noticed that many people online saying what a woke kid, look at this, this is like what happens when your brain goes from woke to awaken. Uh, people have been, you know, very understanding of a kid who can actually admit that they were wrong and change their mind in real time. And it takes an amazing amount of maturity. And so anybody who's even inclined to judge the kid for having had these uh, peer pressure, social pressure predispositions, I think you're off base. And I think you have to look at this kid. Oh, he's a kid. He's 18 years old as someone with an open mind who could figure things out and in real time admit that they were wrong. It's an amazing thing to admit that you made a mistake. It's very hard. It's especially hard for kids, and it's especially hard for adults. And, uh, and it also takes willingness. And now, I was, I was joking around with Warren. He's going to come on in a few seconds. I'll just give a, a good intro uh, and a, a long-winded one. Where I was saying, like, I, he's a very, very patient man. And, like, I look at him and I'm saying, like, I'm imputing my own uh, irritability, my own... Not short temper, but frustrated. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the most patient person in the world. And I'm looking at him and I'm saying, is he struggling to remain calm or is he genuinely a calm and understanding person? And in as much as I've discussed with him, seems genuine. But I come to my own reflection and I say, I'm not that patient anymore. I say that though, because I deal with adults typically on a day in and day out basis. And adults don't get the same benefit of the doubt in terms of treatment, walking them through their stupidity, walking them through their ignorance as a kid who is developing and is supposed to be guided as to how to think and, and learn on their own. And so when you get videos like this one, where I am not going to be very patient with, the, with these fellas, uh, Hi everyone, Randy here with Marnie Penn. Randy Bisono. I said I was going to play this one because this is Canadian politics that has nothing to do with Warren Smith or the incident. But I just said, like, I'm not patient with Bisono anymore or these adults who should know better. Roundtable. For those of you who don't know, there's, there's controversy out of Alberta that uh, Danielle Smith, the new premier, is passing legislation, transphobic legislation. And I do this thought experiment with anyone with an open mind, not with scoundrels like these, these, these people. What's transphobic about it? Well, apparently it wants to increase or set an age limit for surgeries and hormone therapy. Apparently it wants to make it mandatory that kids can't socially transition at school without the knowledge of their parents. Controversial stuff. Organizations representing the trans community and the 2SLGBTQ plus community here in Alberta. And so- He forgot the IA. In Canada, it's 2SLGBTQIA+. This guy also on the right, I say this like glib, doesn't have pronouns in his bio. I thought that was a faux pas Barney. for adults. Important meeting. 
yeah, unfortunate great. that we have to have this in face of Danielle Smith's uh, horrendous policy uh, recommendations, suggestions. Recommendations uh, that so, kids can't have uh, surgery until tell they're... Tell us why this is so terrifying and what was your main terrifying. message today at the meeting? Yeah, well, this is a direct uh, attack on, on trans people in this province. Or direct attack. Youth in this province. But we know that it doesn't end here. That mm -hmm. this is an attack on all human rights and we are all impacted by this. I, I'm, not, I'm not playing the rest of this. I'll give everybody the tweets. Um, you cannot blame young, impressionable youth, developing adults, when they're bombarded with this crap day in and day out, they're not taught how to think. They're given the conclusions of what to think. And Warren Smith, in, in real time, it's, I think the video is a little bit longer than the four minute edited down. Uh, he did it. It's amazing. And the world needs more teachers uh, like Warren, who we're going to get to know now. And if anybody's not, if anybody, if I see anybody in the chat complaining that, why are you talking about his childhood? First of all, the man is very young. He's still a child in my books. <laughs> uh, we're doing it because I need to understand the person. All right, so with that said, everybody, uh, you know the standard things, Viva Fry, Montreal litigator turned YouTuber, David Fry. Hey, someone else told me something very interesting about my name. I forget what it was. It doesn't matter. Uh, we're going to end on YouTube as per usual. Head over to Rumble exclusively. Maybe if there's time, an after party on Locals. Uh, and we're doing an off hour because it's Super Bowl Sunday. I don't care about the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, I'm not, I don't have my best friend in Florida and his parents where I always used to watch it religiously every year. That was the best Sunday of the year. But my parents are down here now and I'm going to go watch the Super Bowl with my parents so we can have an amazing evening. And it's like the trauma of being Canadian. I was like, hey, mom, do you guys get the American commercials down here? We're in America. They get the good commercials. We don't have to watch Canadian Tire. Crappy Canadian commercials instead of what everyone watches the Super Bowl or Taylor Swift. I'm joking. Commercials. Okay. This has been a longer intro than I wanted uh, or intended. Warren, are you ready? Thumb up. Booyah. Here we go. Sir, how goes the battle? It's going. It's actually going very well, I think. You know, all things considered. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, thank you for, some people are scared of me on social media, so thank you for uh, accepting the invitation. Like, I'm, I'm going to ask you this question before we get into childhood. You are sincerely a calm and uh, composed individual on a daily basis. You don't, like, flip out and you're not a high end, you're not uh, erratically behaved, like you are the way you appear to be in real life. I believe I am, yes. <laughs> but that'd be, right. Yeah, as far as I can tell. 30,000 foot overview, and I'm going to just double check the audios, but 30,000 foot overview for those who, well, now everybody's seen the video, but for those who don't know who you are. Who I am? I am a teacher with a background in filmmaking. I studied movie producing and screenwriting and undergrad at UNC School of the Arts, and then I worked in Hollywood for a while, worked as a videographer, freelancer as well, and left LA after a few years and realized, you know, I'm I don't, it's not really the world for me. And I ended up going to graduate school in Boston at Emerson College to get my MFA in video and videography and filmmaking, same subject really. And, and started teaching while I was at Emerson College, uh, uh, what do you call it, teaching assistant, and then started teaching some professional studies classes and then became a uh, high school teacher after that. It's funny, so. the, the, the range of emotions I just went through when you said you went to Hollywood, I'm like, oh no, and then it's like, when I left, <laughs> it's like the, the that's good, that's bad, Homer Simpson with the frozen yogurt. Right. Um, 36 years old, mm -hmm. born and raised in the North Carolina. No, yeah. North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, may I, how many, uh, everybody's going to get frustrated. How many siblings? I have one brother. 
older younger i have a younger younger brother. brother yes childhood growing up in north carolina you play golf was it is it a beautiful is it a beautiful childhood? i don't play golf it was a very beautiful childhood we grew up in the mountains outside Asheville, north carolina in the woods in a cabin that my dad built by himself my parents were both professors and it was a i couldn't have imagined a better childhood at all both of your parents are professors art professors my dad art. they my dad is retired now he taught wood design and my mom taught metals design jewelry design yeah. and so north of Asheville, is this what they call the the smoky mountains is not in north carolina is it the appalachian mountains so they call i think it's the yeah they call the blue ridge mountains is what blue ridge mountains. okay yeah i think that's where the intro scene to donnie darko was shot if i'm not mistaken it's like last of the mohicans was filmed there they actually filmed the first hunger games in Asheville. Oh, but, cool yeah Asheville we were... was was rated one of the most livable cities in america it was it one of the places we were looking. Highest highest per capita uh, breweries for beer, if you're a beer fan. And so it's a cool city. Yeah. And so when you say you grew up in a in a log cabin, um, was that the country place yeah. or was that the main residence? We would, because my, my parents were teachers, they both taught at East Carolina University. We would spend every summer out on this. They bought this little spot in the woods before I was born and my dad cleared it and then built this all by himself like literally by himself. It's hard for people to wrap their heads around that, but that is the case. And so when people ask me, where'd you grow up? It's easier than saying on the East coast in the winter and the, the, on the Eastern part in the winter. And then the summers we go in the mountains because my heart is really in the mountains still to this day. So now when I go down for Christmas, I'm in the mountains. We don't, there's no family left in Greenville. Everybody's there. So I, you know, the bulk of my childhood, I would say was there. Parents still married? Yeah. How many that's got to be 50 years yeah yeah that's, a, that's a, okay and religious upbringing or not not at all it's it that's an interesting story <laughs> that's really interesting because my mom used to try and take us to church and i think she did it because she grew up in a very religious household and she felt like that's what you need to do as a mom and we never it never ended up becoming a weekly thing my dad my dad never went you know he my dad grew up in hollywood and he was he's a he's a character so it didn't stick for her later in life. I did become more religious and I would consider myself a Christian, but, and I was just having an interesting conversation with my mom recently where I ended up conducting a little thought experiment, but I, won't go to the, but I was like talking to her about Christianity. And I just met this girl who I'd started dating and uh, I was like, yeah, she's a Christian. It's really cool. And she's like, like, Oh, why is that important? You know, like, why is that a, a good thing? And I was like, well, I know that, you know that you don't put much stock in this like so if you were to ask her do you believe in god she would kind of give a response for her so they're like i i think he's um i think it's good to believe in god but you know christians they, they just they've started a lot of wars today and they just seem to think they're better than everyone else and i would break that down and i would You're, get specific your mother said this my mother was saying this yeah and I, I say this without judgment because it's it's one of the uh I'd say like one, one of the classic arguments that you know, a lot of people have been killed in the name of religion. Right. Uh, and then I, even when you cite the uh, World War II, well, they say, well, Hitler was driven by some religious motive against the Jews, although he didn't only, uh, you know, he didn't only try to exterminate the Jews. But the, and then you look at Stalinism, communism, Maoism, which was a religious or sacrilegious, mm -hmm. would be sacrilegious. Yeah, it was a perfect example of, of I guess that's where I kind of got all this doing the Socratic method was applying it to these conversations with my family often. So in that instance, <clears throat> I said, you know, she said, well, because Christians start wars, 
can you give me an example? What wars are, are currently are going on that were started by Christians? Like, are you talking about like Hamas fighting the Jews? Like, I don't understand what you, and then she crumbles with it and she goes, well, I just don't want to talk about this. Blah, blah. And that's often how those conversations usually go. Um, with with an adult who's already their their brains are already wired so it's like the cognitive dissonance they can't unwire it or dewire like a kid can or, or that's rewire in real difference. time yeah because that student in that video he just literally said what came to his mind in a very honest manner and that's why the conversation flowed so well and like he was able to i think it's one of the reasons it resonates so well and then i was even talking to my mom the other pretty recently and i was like mom we used to have these conversations all the time but when I start asking you these questions, she says it as the, she says, I feel attacked when you start, I feel like you're cornering me. And like, I'm just asking questions. So I'm not, she calls it bullying me in those senses <laughs> where I'm like, I'm, I'm doing nothing different than what you saw in that video. You know? Um, but well, it's, and it's, if it's, you were as gracious as that kid, then you, it would be a very similar interaction and we wouldn't, there's no reason to feel like I'm bullying you or anything. It's, no, they, they might, they might be getting cornered by logic. I mean, it, at the end of the day, logic will corner you, but, um, by math and not by, by force or by, you know, logic and not by force. Right. Um, and then I think like when they say the classic examples of religious wars, they, the, the go-to is, are the crusades. And I think a lot of people are even historically not illiterate, but largely naive as to the history origin and what the crusades were and in response to, but that's well, a subject. Well, yeah. 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 Any, I'll, I'll say in that is that anything could be taken to an extreme religions, any religion could be taken to an extreme. So that's not an argument to disprove the value of any religion, I feel. And I usually, I never thought I'd be asked that question. So good on you. That's pretty, like, I, I probably- oh, I, 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 I haven't even scratched the surface yet. <laughs> okay, go for it. I probably should have taken the route of like, oh, that's a too complicated question. But because it is such a very difficult question to answer. It's more something along the lines, I like to live as though God exists, but there, it's a, it would take us a while to dissect it. So I would just say, yeah, I do think there is more to this life than what we see um i just oh no and i was gonna say like it, people say i'm not religious so i have discovered as you get older um something will substitute for the religion so if, if you don't believe in you know jesus or, or christ or uh the talmud or talmud's probably not the best example but judaism if you don't believe in something you know as per the quintessential three religions something else is going to substitute for that deep human need and it will either be um, it'll be some form of cultism to replace it. I think what we're witnessing right now, especially as relates to the whole trans discussion, is religious tendencies manifesting through politics. And politics, I think, has become the new religion, if it hasn't always been. Um, okay, so this, so, and you see, I mean, look, all, the the thought experiments with your mother and your father, you still get along with them, you talk to them. Oh, yeah. Okay. We're very close. I love my, and she keeps me balanced as well. It's good to have someone challenge you. On, on these things. It, it absolutely keeps in balance. And this has been, I think it's been an eye opener for her as well, seeing how, I mean, no one, ex I never expected this, but seeing how far that video resonated. And then the, because in her mind, when she watches it to her credit, she's like, there's nothing wrong. With it. Why would anyone have an issue? Why would you be worried about anything? Why would you be worried about, you know, your job or social ramifications? She can't quite, I don't think she fully understands the um the intensity of those who do have a presupposition about that topic that that there's already people that are so entrenched on it that they won't change their mind on regardless of what evidence is presented 
it, well, it's it's. Uh, we'll get into the viral video stuff just because there's some um, there's some what's the word like common thread to everything that goes viral. Yes. But um, no, you, you, your mom, I guess nobody who's not living in the current era right now can understand these social pressures as to what can make that video potentially a liability. I mean, it's 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 wild that a patient, thoughtful, analytic teacher walking a student through a real time experiment can be controversial. Uh, because of the conclusion to which the student came, which defies the orthodoxy of the time, which is J.K. Rowling is a bigot. And if you come to any other conclusion, you've done the math wrong. Uh, what was I about to say here? Do I end? We'll end this. We're going to end this on YouTube, people. And it doesn't change anything on our end, Warren. Uh, we're going to carry this on. Speaking of respecting free speech and everything on Rumble. So I'm going to give everybody yeah, a link so one more time. I cut you off. Sorry about that. You're asking about like family being close, but we're very close. Absolutely. No, that's, 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 that's fantastic. And like, it's, it's funny. Grow, so link to rumble and I'll end with this anecdote. When we, when I, I'm the youngest of five kids, dad's a lawyer. I was a lawyer. I'm still a lawyer, but not practicing. I'm not licensed in mm -hmm. Quebec. Uh, brother's a lawyer, sister's a lawyer, other brother's a lawyer. There's one who's not. Our Friday night dinners were uh, the exact same Socratic method, but shouting matches. <laughs> so nobody's dad's not sitting around like walking us through. It's like, a different tactic, but we, we arrived at the same conclusions, which is think critically, think independently, and always challenge your own foregone conclusions. To be continued on Rumble, people, we are ending on YouTube, three, two, one. Okay, so now growing up, uh, I, I'm just curious, actually, like growing up, are you going to public, private school uh, in, in the city? What, That's what a good life question. Like? Yeah, yeah. Public school until, how, this is actually really, my mom was always questioning uh public schools in education she wanted always clearly obviously as most mothers do she wanted what was best and she'd found this where some of my friends in the mountains who i was telling you about outside Asheville. there there's this little very alternative hippie school i would call it characterize it as with 40 kids in it it was a quaker fundamental school and i ended up going there at age 12 so i was at a boarding school at age 12. boarding which, school means away from home I was living in a, yeah, I was away from home, living in a, yeah, a boarding house at age 12. And it was interesting. I made it for about a year and I was like, can I just come home? This is kind of, my brother did the same thing. My cousin, his mother passed away the same year. We adopted him legally and he ended up at the boarding school with my brother. They were both two years behind me and they reson it resonated more with them that lifestyle, then I think it had a big impact on them. And they stayed for the entire three years the school was seventh, eighth and ninth grade. I went back to public school, ended up going back to boarding school later on. Um, uh, yeah. I'm going to ask you, I, I'm projecting if I'm a 12 year old kid and my parents send me off basically to camp for a year, is it five yeah. days a week and you come back on the weekends or is it no, like months on end? I wouldn't come back for, except for holidays. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question you might. Jesus, if you haven't thought about it or I've been asked it, did that leave any sort of lingering trauma or resentment to your parents in the sense that you thought? No, that it was all because she, it was an adventure and I wanted to do it. You know, it was so definitely not resentment or trauma. I did realize that how much I missed being home uh, and the, uh, just the world that. Well, the, the warmth and the smell of. of, of yeah. Home. Yeah. I did miss that, but it was it. And the moment that I realized that I didn't want to do another year there, she, uh, yeah, okay. they, they made that happen. So no resentment, no trauma. It, 
what lingering effects did it have? I don't know. <laughs> well, it's like my, my parents sent me to camp. It was two months of summer camp. They didn't come on visiting day. Not that I hold any grudges, but you know, it, it takes a while to get used to, but two months versus a year and summer camp versus school is like night and day. And even, even though summer camp and everything you love about nature, country, swimming and all that, I, I was still homesick like a, like a, like a sniveling little baby. Is I wanted to do like what Harry Potter was doing. He went off at age 11. So I was, I could do that. That's what I was thinking. Like, I have, um, I don't get the reference because I've never seen one Harry Potter movie. Are you serious? <laughs> no research. You didn't do any research. No, I'm just kidding. Not, not one Harry Potter. <laughs> I, not this, I'm not into the Star Wars and I've never seen an episode of Game of Thrones. So oh, no worries. that being said, I've, I've, you know, there's a lot of other stuff I know better than I should. Um, so, you, okay. So, and when do you, Hold on. When do you get out? So you study North Carolina, uh, elementary school, high school. What type of kid were you in high school? Troublemaker? Defiance? Uh, no, it wasn't, was it a troublemaker? I don't think. I mean, not, no, I um, wasn't very good at sports, really. I was, I was, I always wanted to be a filmmaker. I was like the indie, you know, Garden State came out around that time. And so I was listening to that kind of music. I had that kind of vibe, but I kind of was adopted in by the, because again, I was going to boarding school again later in high school and then coming home, but I had this foundation of friends there and I kind of was adopted by the the cool kids, the jocks and the skaters. We were all in the, and it was a lot of fun. I really, those were looking back on it, you know, those days in high school, those house parties and things like that are some of the greatest it, memories. It, it, we're still before the age of social media, so you could do things, yeah. uh, absolutely idiotic things that would not ruin your life forever. Because they'd get on the internet and never yeah. come down. Facebook came out for the year I graduated high school to go to college. The things that uh, one day I'll do a tell all the things that we did as kids, and I'm I'm almost ten years older than you, but like it, it, other than the fact I did, it, it, if they were done in the states, you'd probably get arrested. And if <laughs> and if people knew, like if they had a cameras back then, we would have all been. As it was, we were working with VHS tapes, and my brother's got a stash. <laughs> the the stuff we did there would get you so canceled today. Man, okay, so and so where did you so university? Where where did you go and what did you study? First, I went to UNC Wellington because they had a film program, very not a great one, and it was very close to where I grew up. And a lot of my friends were going there, so I went there for a year and a half. And then that second year, I did a semester abroad in Italy through the University of Georgia very in cool. Cortona, Italy. And that, when I was over in Italy, I received an acceptance letter to transfer to UNC School of the Arts, which was University of, University, University of Northern Carolina. University of Northern Carolina. Yeah, but it's the School of the Arts Conservatory, and they're one of the top 10 film schools for years now. An extremely good film school. And right, and so it was also in-state tuition. It was awesome. And so I, but I was going to transfer over, and then I, they said I had Crohn's disease. I ended up in the hospital for three months, had to take a year off before transferring over. So all said and done, it took me, I was in undergrad for four, five, six years not counting that year off in between. So now you said they said you had Crohn's disease. Do you, did you in fact get diagnosed? I've with never, Crohn's they, yeah, I was, but I've never had any, I had a major surgery where they took out a big section of intestine and mm -hmm. I was in hospital ridden for three months and apparently it was worse than I even realized it was, it was major. And so I was out of commission for, uh, yeah, for that whole year. I could, I, because of the date lining up with acceptance, I had to wait. Um, and so, but I've never had an issue with it since, you know, so do I have Crohn's? I don't know. It's one of those illnesses that autoimmune disorder, they call it, it, it's something they don't really know much about. They're starting to know more about it back then. They didn't really know much about it. 
and they removed, I presume, like with the, the, the inflamed section of intestines. Exactly. Yeah. They, exactly. yeah once upon a time, they, they were going through my stomach and they're looking for Crohn's, IBS, celiac disease. They came down with what they call the Jewish stomach uh, IBS, irritable bowel mm-hmm. syndrome, which I believe is a, a mental issue not, <laughs> and not a physiological one, unlike Crohn's, which is, you know, diagnosable. In, oh, wow. That, that's serious. That's, yeah, it's I mean, serious. Um, yeah. Okay, I won't, I won't, I, the, the, the neurotic hypochondriac wants me to ask a bunch of medical questions about that, but I will not. <laughs> so yeah, ultimately, you, you heal up after a long surgery. And you go to you UNC School of the Arts. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And yeah. from which you graduated. From which I graduated. I had a, it was, yeah, that was a crazy experience. Made, if you go to my website, there's like short films that I made back then. There any, were, any short films that would get you canceled by today's standards? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. No. No. Well, do, uh, uh, and so what is it? Well, I'm going to put the website in there afterwards, but I, I'm, I'm curious. Oh, I yeah. See some, so what, Wsmithmedia.com. We can put that in later. Okay. Was, I'm sorry. So short yeah. films, any uh, submit to festivals and whatever? Or yeah, like, we or... did festivals. And then right after graduating, we did a feature film. I wrote and produced a feature film that we filmed entirely at that cabin I was telling you about on that property with 25 students came out at that summer camped for three weeks. We raised $25,000 to produce it. And you can watch that full film on my, my YouTube channel. It's called As the Crow Flies. As the Crow Flies. If I'm picturing 25 students out in a, a cabin, I, it has to be Blair Witchy. And is it a comedy, horror, drama? It, it's, a, it's, a, it's about modern day bootleggers, a brother and sister who have to bootleg a large amount of money to a drop point in order to make the big payday and retire. They're taking care of these two orphans. And yeah. I can't yeah. actually sounds mild, mildly, <laughs> mildly original, okay. by the way. No, no, but like original right. plots. Yeah, it was okay. It, it came out okay. But. All right, well, now, now the, and, and so how does, so, okay, so you study film, and like I would say, like, you, unless you strike it, you, you don't really, uh, it's tough to make a living in film after you graduate with a film degree. Yeah. You make it out to Hollywood. That What's was that a remarkable, like? yeah, just making that feature was kind of an unheard of thing. It was a, it was a miracle in itself. So there was some momentum there, and I had some crazy experiences after that, that there's some videos on my YouTube channel from four years ago where I was talking to students about filmmaking. I do go into some of those things, like the one's called the worst mistake I ever made, where I trusted the wrong person after producing that film, doing a short film. Uh, he actually acted in that film and asked me to, I, I wrote a short film while at UNC School of the Arts. He brought him in to direct it. Then he was going to produce a feature film and asked me to, but he didn't go to the UNC School of the Arts. Wanted me to assemble the crew, and I did all that. Got, brought all those people contacts I knew, brought them all together, and positioned the whole thing the day before camera started to roll. He just got rid of me, and then kept the kept the short film that we had made before that, and never never even sent it to me. So that's been lost. I don't even have that. Um, I have an old cut that, from that. So that really messed with my head. That was one of the things that that took a toll, and then it took me a. Few, few months to figure out what I was going to do after that. That really, it's hard to, I mean, it's, it's a long story to really get into how, why that was such a doozy um, psychologically as well as just logistically. But anyway, so I did realize like, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to go out to LA, give that a go. Did it. Ended up working as a talent agent for um, a literary agency, just a little boutique one in Beverly Hills. How, how old are you at this time? 20, you'll see, I graduated when I was 23, so it's probably 
Uh, let's see, 21, 22, 23, 24. So I graduated when I was 25. I was probably 26 at this point. Okay, so a, a 10 years ago, it was still the, the festering cesspool of, uh, of morally degenerate swamp. Yeah, is I had some crazy that. experiences. I did an internship in New York as well. I've experienced the movie industry in both New York and LA. They're both pretty... It's the worst aspects of, of society seem to... <laughs> it's just... it's. And I realized, I mean, I got some great experiences that allowed me then maybe to get into graduate school and to, you know, I, I, it was cool as an assistant. It was kind of like you, did you ever see Entourage? Uh, one or two episodes. All right. I, you got like the agent being played, you know, it's, he wasn't as interesting or as funny as that guy, but it's a crazy high paced world. And I was the assistant with my headphones on, listening to all the calls, taking the calls, doing all the emails. And it's just me and him. So I learned a lot from it. Um, I think he, we, I might have rubbed him the wrong way in some sense. I don't remember. I don't remember. But anyway, I just knew in the long run too that it wasn't, like you said, it's difficult. And I, I have a lot of classmates from that school. Everyone either went to Atlanta, which was a huge, still probably a huge hub of production, LA or New York. And so a bunch of them were still out there and they are still out there and they're bouncing. Some of them have gone union. Some have gone, you know, cinematographers union or whatever makeup and have done very well. Like those in makeup have done very well because that's one of the best ways to do it. Such a niche, small niche, but it's, you're always looking or always hustling for that next project. And um, it just was, anyways, I knew that I didn't want to live on the West coast either. You know, regardless, I knew I needed to be near my family as well. And uh, there's something about the East Coast that resonates with me. So a few years, and uh, I, I presume you had the experience is what many of us think it is there. And not for you. You come back. How many years did you spend out in L.A.? Two years. I think. Long enough. And you Two come and back. Years. And I guess the question is, how do you how do you get into teaching? How did I get at, at Emerson College when I was in grad school? Okay. Yeah. So you, you, you go to grad school at Emerson College and you get the degree and then, I mean, how does, how does that even I, work practically? I thought I was, it was a three-year program, which, and then right after I got there, they launched this two-year advanced program, which I, I got a scholarship, a half-ride scholarship to go as well. That's why one of the reasons I chose that school, but I also fell in love with Boston. And I, I thought, I was like, whoa, of course, my parents were both university professors, like, whoa, that's a really cool profession and they had always talked about going to teach and going to teaching because the, the schedule is so great and time off and and so I thought well, I'd be so cool to be a film professor and you know like I had seen at UNC School of the Arts and it's gotten very difficult with tenure track and they're hiring more and more like what I'm doing now where I will they hire me to teach one course as an affiliate faculty it's much cheaper than hiring they're trying to kind of cut tenure positions it's because it's very expensive to have a tenure track uh, and that it's also hard to get rid of them. Mm -hmm. And it's so just as a business model, I can understand that, but it's, it's anyway, so I didn't end up becoming a, I mean, I teach, I'm an affiliate faculty still at Emerson, but I don't think they'll ever offer me a tenure track, especially not after this, <laughs> you know, this whole thing. Well, the, you know who Gad Sat is? Yeah. Yeah, so like his, not his uh, security net, but his either the, call it the golden handcuffs, whatever. His security is that he's a tenured professor at Concordia up in Canada. If he weren't, he would have been canned. They would have found a way to get rid of him a decade ago, certainly after the parasitic mind, but well, even well before that. Um, yeah, he was one of the ones who commented on the video, and that was a huge honor seeing that. That was really cool. All right, it's, 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 it's 
it's a wonderful thing to see in real time. I think many people might have been under the impression it was a high school and not a, a university. And so the, 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 we, I'm calling him a kid, but the kid is 18 years old. It's, it was a, I think I can say that it was not, let's just say it was not a university. Okay. It's not a university. No, I'm not. And I'm not trying to get you. To, <laughs> I want to get you in trouble. Okay. Yeah, no worries. Um, it's not but, a and the kid is not, the kid is not a, not a, not, well, he's, he's 18. Say, not a team. Still a he's team, about but, to graduate. I'll just leave it at that. Um, yeah. So what, like, how does it, how does it come to be that you have this context? Like, you know, on the one hand, recording yeah. is not, recording one way with the teacher is not unheard of. There's a, um, I can tell you. Okay. I'll tell you. Cause I teach, I teach students. I'm a multimedia, uh, multimedia teacher. I teach students how to work with camera, photography, uh, a lot of Photoshop, 3D printing, things like that. And we were doing a newscast. This was on a Friday. We were going to record the newscast. And that kid was supposed to be on camera to do the newscast. Started to get cold feet. Said, here, we'll do a little exercise warm up. You all get on camera. You can operate camera. Just it's not hard. Let's have a conversation. Just forget the cameras there. What's something that interests you? Pretends like a podcast. And so that's the question that he asked. And the rest is what was on camera. And then after that, he actually did go do the newscast. So it worked. <laughs> it's fantastic. I mean, yeah, people, um, they say, I mean, I obviously don't have a problem public speaking, but the, a lot of people, I mean, I can understand rightly so like you, it's, it's out there forever. And if you sneeze and a booger comes out of your nose, it's on the <laughs> internet forever. Yeah. And what context of the class, how many kids are in the class or how many students? Um, I can't, I should probably shouldn't go into all that. Okay. And yeah. so you, you record the video. It was longer, right? It was edited down. It was slightly long. Yeah. Where he was looking for the tweet. You know, I didn't think anybody was even gonna, I wasn't like editing this to, I was, yeah. But this I, is, this is, have you had a video go no. not this viral, but viral before? When I first, that feature film I told you about, when I first posted that to YouTube, because the distribution guy, distribution agreement, they screwed us over. I was like, forget this. I'm just going to post it. Posted it on YouTube. Didn't even look at it for a month. And then I got an email saying, "You oh, you've crossed a thousand subscribers and it had 350,000 views. For me, that's huge. Yeah. And that's when, that was a year ago, about a year and a half ago. And that's when I thought, wow, there's something to YouTube. As a filmmaker, this is a way to reach an audience. And that's when I started playing with it, you know, a little bit more and you'll see some stuff I've been doing on there. But I used to use it just as a teaching and as a way to kind of build up a teaching portfolio to secure teaching jobs, have something to show on a website. Um, no one was really watching them, you know. How many, like uh, people have ripped it and clipped it and reposted it, but on the original source now, how many views is it up to? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's, it's wild. I mean, I, if, if you never had the sensation before, like um, it, to, just to, you know, to, to get notifications, to refresh and the numbers go up and then you're like, holy crab apples. Well, my channel didn't get the views. <laughs> my channel probably got 400,000 on my channel. Let's, it's let's, at, it's at like 44 just, million on the other channels. That, that's, that's wild. <laughs> well, there, there is a copyright tool on YouTube, but, but um, so when it starts going viral, this is a thing like also when people put a video out there, they have no idea it's going to be vi go viral yeah. and the attention it's going to garner. Do you, is there a moment where you get nervous? Like, holy shit. Now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so what, what was the sequence of events? When did it, in relation to you posting it, when did you notice that it was yeah. getting traction? I, we'd had the, this, the interaction with the student was on that Friday when we did the newscast. I posted it maybe that day. I edited it three minutes. I didn't really edit it. I just took out that one section and put in a few minutes later. I was like, oh, this should have that meme. A few minutes later, you know, that with the dot, dot, dot meme. It doesn't matter. I was going to, uh, I posted it like the next day. Five days go by, it's got like 
10,000 views. Whoa, 10,000 views. This is doing well. Wow, this is cool. And so a, um, a teacher that I work with saw that as well. He's like, oh, that's cool. He's like, well, I'll challenge you to a debate. Let's do a debate on Elon Musk and Twitter. And so I said, okay, yeah. And we, so we filmed that after school with no students. And then I posted that one on, this is funny because this is relevant to the story. I, I posted that on Saturday and then Sunday is when Elon tweeted the video. Now, I don't know if Elon saw the, de the debate. We like to think perhaps he did where I was, I was taking the position that what he's doing is good for free speech. And I was not even taking a position or I was trying to kind of use the same methodology about it is that free speech is the least bad option, you know, like off the Winston Churchill, that democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others. There's no perfect system. That was the premise of the debate. He was saying that all the, the flaws, that was, it was his genuine perspective anyway. So we posted that debate. It was just, perhaps it was just coincidence. He probably didn't see it. But the very I, next I, day, I, it happened. I'd be curious to watch that because I, I think if I, I, I'm trying to think of what I would have to argue if I were going to argue the position I didn't believe in that what Elon is doing is dangerous. I mean, I, he I think looked I up, could... he looked up tweets. He looked up tweet mean. This is often the tactic: mean tweets that mm -hmm. Elon had had said, and you know, and, but and, they and, were... and blame real world, a, 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 a blame real world conduct allegedly being inspired by these tweets. That and that you shouldn't have the right to insult people. <laughs> And Only I was, an idiot would say that. <laughs> but <I> mean, <laughs> right. But I give him credit for engaging in the debate. And he's genuinely a good guy. And he also is one of those people that keeps me balanced because he does have differing opinions. And he's been super helpful with all this. And I should say he as that very person has been so supportive. And he's if you watch the Secret Scholars short film that we're developing to feature, he's the one who composed all the music. He acts in it as well. And he's actually working with me to... Um, to develop our the secret scholar society moving forward, given the craziness that we're in, my brother is at, is becoming my manager. He's a whiz with uh, social media and all, just all of this stuff. He's just very good with it. Secret scholar so, society. Secret scholar society. That's the YouTube channel that this was originally posted to. Okay, I just I shared it actually. Let me see here. Warren okay. Smith dash Secret Scholar Society. Yeah. Okay. And whenever I hear society, I just think Dead Poet Society and <laughs> or Fight Club, something along those lines. So you post the video on a Friday. It's it's amazing also, like just willy-nilly willy editing. No, no flashy, no yeah. nothing. And oftentimes that actually detracts from the substance of this. And this goes viral. I, I've got a theory. I've said it a few times and have had a few videos go viral before the law stuff, like the squirrel, the squirrel stealing a GoPro. An, I made a video where we were cooking an ostrich egg, shot off my iPhone, totally crappy uh, video editing. It had, the, the video had a glitch because my camera had a little purple uh, pixel that was broken on it. And it gets like millions and millions of views because there's something just universal in it. And things can go viral because it's universally good or universally bad. And this tapped into something that's universally good quite clearly. Um, have you been getting hate? Uh, I don't know if you follow the comments when something when you get too many comments, but have you been getting hate for the, uh, for the tactic that you applied or the conclusion that you drew the student to? Well, that's the thing is that did I draw the student to the conclusion and I, I understand that the position that some people would say that I did. I tried not to like initially you could see the one portion where you could say that I could see, I could see that 
is, is where I interpret you the debate. Exa- yeah. I mean, the tweet. Exactly. But initially I said, okay, when he, he read the tweet and I said, do you see anything transphobic there? I could see that he was struggling with understanding the, the essence of what was being said. And then I tried to as accurately and concisely represent the real subtext of what she was saying, the real, the, the bones of what she was putting out there. I wasn't trying to misinterpret it. And I do think that that was an accurate representation of the tweet. So if someone wanted to, I mean, they could make an argument for that, but I think it was pretty fair. No, no, it's, it's, so. it's funny as I'm listening, as I'm, I'm watching the whole thing and I've studied philosophy and practiced law and, you know, we, we are trained with the words and I'm like, okay, Someone could say here, you're trying now to shape the way he's thinking by telling him what you think. You're his teacher. You're an authority figure. So he's going to go along with that. But the bot, the other, the flip side is though, you, you can continue with the asking of the questions. Well, what makes it, what makes it transphobic? You, and you can go with that questioning method. And then at some point you end up sort of at a, at a reductio where he says, well, I can, and he did say it. And it's also steel man in the argument. I can see how other people look at this and find it offensive. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, then the question is, well, and then what? And then we're like at the, uh, you know, who, who created the, the step one? It's like, and then what? Well, then we have to make our own decisions. And, and I, then whose judgment is better? And also, I think it's fair to mention that, imagine as a lawyer, you understand this, a judge is going to analyze the evidence that is presented to them. And then they have to come to a binary decision of either guilty or not guilty, or yes, defamation or not defamation, or a juror for that matter. That matter. And it's simply in that video clip, it's it's just whatever the evidence that is presented, what is the logical conclusion? It's it's not necessarily, um, I don't know. I mean, perhaps you could say it's guiding him, but. I, only if someone wanted to criticize you for anything in that, but it was, what, what was amazing about it is that it, it does flesh out the thought process of, of adults and young people alike is, I hear they say i've never actually really gone to the source material myself and then when i do i will then come to the conclusion that no it doesn't say what they say it says but this is the world in which we live and then you got even even if it doesn't say what they say it says then you got to well i have to understand the way they feel because everything is relative everyone is entitled to their truths and there's no objective truth but at the end of the day that's why like you know at some point kids become adults and they say no there's not uh, everyone doesn't have their own truth. Everyone doesn't have uh, their own subjective reality. There's, right. is it offensive? Is it a call to violence? Or is it something that might insult you? And do you even have a right not to get insulted? Yeah, because if it's all subjective truth, how would a judge come to a conclusion? You know, and, and the judge comes to that conclusion without bringing in bias. So if a judge can do it, why can't a student do it or well, a teacher depends, without depends being ju- told that they're being biased by doing that very thing? Depends which judges you're talking about, Warren. A lot right, of these, a lot of these yeah, judges yeah. come <laughs> uh, without getting political. Theoretically, get political. theoretically that's um, what they should or should be doing. Now, uh, for information sources, like, are you are? Did you study philosophy? Do you do you read philosophy as a pastime? Sometimes, I mean, I've done a little bit of reading. I th- here's my position on this. I believe that the Socratic method, this way of thinking, is ingrained within us. So. I would ask you, do you think that, do you think Socrates invented the Socratic method or did he discover something that already existed in the way that an archaeologist uncovers a pyramid or something that was already there, something that already existed? 
this is, uh, I've thought about this as a, when a composer makes music, are they discovering a connection of notes or are they creating? Or a mathematician, a mathematician making a mathematical breakthrough. Are they inventing a mathematical breakthrough? Or are they discovering a pattern within the universe that is already ingrained within the universe? So I think this way of thinking is already ingrained within us naturally. We just have to be able to tap into that. I, I, I for, for certain things like logic, reasoning, brain activity, I would say for sure. For things like the arts, I think you are ultimately uh, not discovering a certain p pattern of connections, but you are in fact creating something. When it comes to art, I haven't really... That's an interesting why. argument. That's an issue because I do, and I, I love examining archetypes and how authors use those and, and filmmakers. And, I, and archetypes are these characters that are ingrained within us as well. Why does the three-act structure resonate with us? Why does the hero's journey resonate with us? On, on a visceral subconscious level. There's something ingrained already there. Yes, art, there is a subjective element to that, but artists have been trying to pursue certain, like a definition of beauty a dis, uh, by creating Michelangelo's David. They're trying to tap into eternal truths that do already exist there, I believe, in no, some I, I, level. I, I tend to agree with that. It's funny, I just had this thought earlier today and I was thinking about maybe tweeting it or sharing it with the world. But I, I went into Target. You, you saw the Nerf gun I got my kid. Yeah, yeah. So we go into Target and I'm looking at the models and I'm, and I'm looking at them and I'm saying like, at one point, the models used to be representative of beauty. And I know everybody says beauty is subjective and you know, like this is beautiful too. But when you fundamentally understand this or believe as, as I do, it's that not. they're not using these models to exemplify beauty, but rather to defy traditional norms of beauty, then the marketing kind of makes sense. And they're doing it not because they think it's beautiful, despite the fact that they say it is, but because it defies the conventional historical human understanding of what everyone always thought was beautiful for right or for wrong. I think there's subjective variations of beauty, but if beauty was purely subjective, we wouldn't have advertising and movie stars and, and there are on some levels you're it's going to vary some people are going to find certain they're going to have preferences but we all can recognize the um who played barbie margot robbie if beauty was absolutely completely subjective i mean this is an easy argument to disprove logically then we would is margot robbie beautiful i the taylor swift might be everyone says oh she's plain she whatever objectively, like, you know, I, I take the baby analogy. If a baby cries when they look at someone's face, and this could be for, uh, you know, natural reasons or unnatural reasons. And it's also whereas you get to, uh, to be an adult and then you understand that uh, spiritual beauty can absolutely easily compensate or even overtake the absence of physical beauty. Uh, but bottom line, symmetry, there are certain visceral reactions that you get from looking at certain certain faces and, and other faces. It's an and, evolutionary response. It's, for, it's, a, it's a way for our... It's a way for us to understand subconsciously that we have a higher likelihood of reproducing with that person and carrying our genetic code. It's, it, there's a, it's a way of quantifying that, right? Without, without the ability, you can't have inches without a yardstick or a way of measurement. You can't tell whether a tree is tall or short if there's nothing to provide context at all. If everything is subjective, there's, there's no such thing as a tall tree or a short tree. There's no such thing as beautiful or not beautiful. And we don't understand that this happens in the same way that archetypes resonate with us or the Socratic method. It's when we see it happens in a split second on a subconscious level. And, but I do believe that like when, when someone walks by on the street and you do a double take, why are you doing that? You don't, don't do that know, anymore. 
I understand. You've been, I, when you get married for 17 years, you know, yeah. my wife doesn't spank me. No. Um, but, although but you know what I mean. Yeah. That, I, I, I'm joking. I'm joking. I, although I do want to add something. I, I watched that stupid ass Barbie movie just recently, not when yeah. the controversy. What I hated most about it, they actually made Ryan Gosling look ugly in that movie. Like I, <laughs> Ryan Gosling, as far as I'm concerned, like Brad Pitt, there's certain, um, what's the word? Uh, not epitomes, but um, paradigms of, of, of male beauty that I think are pretty obje uh, objective. Ryan Gosling mm -hmm. is one of them. Ed Norton could be the other one for another reason. Okay. They made him ugly in that movie. And I'm like, how did they actually manage <laughs> to make Ryan Gosling ugly? Um, so, so, okay, so I mean, back it all the way up now, you have this amazing experience. Does the, does the student, do you know that you've, you've shared this moment when it happens or is it only in retrospect? What do you mean? Do I, do I know that I shared the moment? Well, did, did, like after it's over, the video ends, like it, it was there something of a, uh, what movie was that from? A connection with, uh, what movie oh, was that? oh like, yeah, did, we're, yeah, he's a great kid. And yeah, no, he's one of my favorites because of just his personality and everything but no we didn't think anything of it we just moved on i, I <laughs> so, have interactions so like wild. that all the time yeah no i didn't think anything of it and i didn't think it would, oh that was brilliant it comes so it just was it was a simple interaction it wasn't i don't want to sound pompous or anything, but it wasn't particularly difficult it was just no it, it, it's almost fun it's almost like what teachers yeah. are supposed to do it's like I, I do wonder if people tend to be less patient with family than with not strangers but students because you don't have all do. that built up baggage but yeah and they care um, more they're more invested so they hate to see you disagree in certain ways and then they think if you're going to disagree on one thing that that's going to cast you into this other political category and then they're worried about what everyone else will think about that and oh no my son's going to think this and he's going to become this lunatic there's a lot of baggage that comes with family before we get into the aftermath because i, I want to bring up a few crumble rants which i saw here one of them one of them we talked about it earlier uh, Ginger Ninja seventeen seventy six in the middle says he looks like Adam Driver. I, I was I thought <laughs> I, I said um, who did I say before we got started? Uh, thin red line. Jim Caviezel when he was younger. Jim Caviezel okay. before he got facial hair. Uh, X T C ecstasy says it's great to finally see North Carolina in the news internet sphere <laughs> for something good, rare but uplifting. Viva will totally buy you a drink if you ever come to the Raleigh area. Oh. Sooner than later. And then we got Pinochet helicopter tours. I, I don't know if this is a real helicopter tour place. Uh, thanks for having Professor Neo on. I kid. Glad the guest likes <laughs> Massachusetts as someone born and raised there, uh, here. I've seen others who post the clip call it deprogramming. Is that a fair description? Deprogramming. Deprogramming because a lot of people are saying all of uh, the younger generation is being brought up. I don't think it's any different now than it ever was, but they're being brought up with different foregone conclusions. Back in the day, it was whatever was trending at the time. Is it deprogramming or um, is it just kids learning how to think? That's a good question. Some, I've, you know what, it's an interesting question to ask students sometimes, and sometimes it's not good to do with high school if, they, if you don't think they're mature enough to handle it. But you say, if you had you been in... Had you been a um, a guard in Nazi Germany and you were you grew up surrounded in that environment, would you have would you have been a Nazi? Do you think they always say no, no, absolutely not? How how do you know that? You have the same brain, you have the same wiring in your brain. It still functions in the same way. How, are you just somehow more enlightened that you would have been in that in the middle of that insanity? And you would have somehow had this extraordinary strength of character to go against the grain of all these driving forces. Like, what is the lesson there is that there, our, our environment has an absolutely 
massive impact on our trajectory and what we see as reality, what we see as acceptable in the norm. Now, programming, are they more programmed now than ever before? I mean, I think that there are certain things that's becoming more present in certain aspects that we are seeing patterns in the last, maybe since 2000, since Trump came into office, we things started to get, I think around then that's when we started to discover that's when, yeah, these conversations became noticeable to me. I'll say I can only comment on what I have actually observed, but so I don't know if it's, if, if that student is programmed it's just that in, in that video, he said himself that so many people, I just heard in my class, many people say this, and therefore you take that to be true. So I think it's just a condition that it's not students now are programmed. Everyone can be programmed in the same manner. Adults are just as programmed, if not more so. Mm -hmm. I said the adults are programmed in that, like going back to your mom's, the discussion of your mom, the, the brain is wired and doesn't, and is even not going to budge. Firmly embedded. It's, it's the amazing thing about the asking anybody the question. Now, if you were in Nazi Germany, would you have, would you have done it? Would you have remained silent as your neighbors were shipped off? And it's funny, everyone would reflexively say, absolutely not. And to them, I might say, well, um, were you, did you tell someone to put on a mask? Did you, again, and they'll say, well, that's totally different. That's nowhere. That's not the same thing as, as shipping people off in trains. It's like, it's not the same thing, but it does uh, certainly show you the degree to which three years of terror can condition or can create an environment in which people believe the absurd. The and wisdom takeaway, the wisdom there is to understand that you have the capacity within you. We all have that capacity hidden within us. It's always going to be there. And we to be able to recognize that allows us to control it and to avoid it and to recognize when we have a presupposition or we're making a conclusion and to be able to be open more to logic because it's not going away. And a hundred years from now, it will still be there. People will still be out. So no, I don't think they're more programmed. They're not more susceptible to programming. Perhaps the programming itself is more present, but the, the human condition will be the human condition. And I know you haven't read Harry Potter, but many in the audience probably have. So I would like to make this analogy. Imagine you have the you have the snake dormant in the Chamber of Secrets. It's been living underneath Hogwarts for a hundred years, and it's a, it's waiting until the heir of Slytherin arrives, and then it will come out, right, and causes you to freeze when you see it. What do you do? Do you do you go face the snake like in Harry Potter, or do you just let it be until the heir arrives? for another hundred years until that one person comes along and then you have another Hitler? Or do you acknowledge that the snake is living down in the chamber of secrets is crawling through our pipes guys in Hogwarts. All right. Like, are we going to do something about it or not? I'm, I'm not laughing at the, um, I'm not laughing to make light of it. I just, I just messaged in the, in the chat on rumble. It's like, what the hell is he talking about? People? <laughs> <laughs> um, now I kind of want. Now I might have to go if there's some metaphysical, you know, a deeper meaning to Harry Potter. I believe there is, but I don't think it was conscious. Okay, and then the problem is, this, my my oldest brother loves Lord of the Rings, and it's the best trilogy to him ever. I watch it. I don't. I don't. Other than the superficial, deeper meaning of the ring and the power and yada yada, the greed, how it consumes all of us. I didn't like the trilogy yeah. at all, and that might be a, a sacrilege to admit out loud. <laughs> um, Okay, so uh, the other question, oh no, the question I was gonna ask now, because you work with the younger generation. Yeah. And so, like everybody has seen 
Schindler's List or, or you know, knows the scene of the little girl, goodbye Jews, goodbye Jews. Like, and it's going to say like there was no programming there. Now it wasn't Facebook, Instagram, TikTok programming, but there was programming. Oh, yeah. it, 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 it influenced and shaped an entire generation of young, young people and adults. When it comes to TikTok, are you noticing any more like what I call concentrated, uh, concentrated social media, social influence? Well, I'm not that active on TikTok, to be honest with you. So I wouldn't be able to make uh, a very articulate observation on that. But absolutely, I think more at the higher education levels where I saw it the most when I was at, at Emerson, especially. There was some, I witnessed some things firsthand that caused me to start my intellectual journey, we'll call it for lack of a better phrase really began then when I, because I was confronted with these things firsthand and I saw them having consequences directly upon me and my classmates. And that's when I started having these dialogues and I would, yeah. Yeah. Um, people, are, people are saying that uh, we have to, I have to read Lord of the Rings in order to truly understand it. I'll, see. <laughs> I'll get it on audible. I can't read anymore. But what, a good, a good show. Uh, the light we cannot see on Netflix is great. It just came out and that, it's one of the only shows or movies where we see a Nazi portrayed in a sympathetic way where he's actually the romance that the girl falls in love with this blind girl who's operating the radios on the resistance, the French resistance. But because we see how he was, he grew up, how he was sent to these schools and forced to be, we see the programming actually take place. And at the end, it, we are sad to see him get arrested. The it's, light we cannot see. It's all the light we cannot see. All the light we cannot see. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to definitely bookmark that. I remember growing up, my dad made us watch Das Boot, which was like, you know, World War II from the perspective of the Nazis. And it gave you a different perspective. And um, hold on one second here. Let, let, let me get, if I, if I may, I'm going to grab some of the uh, tipped comments that we have up in our locals community. Viva, please read Harry Potter <laughs> from Emil Sitton. Emil Sitton. LOL. I would know, I know I would not be a Nazi because I naturally, I'm naturally suspicious about popular ideas, says Jeanette Victoria. Uh, wow, you got him as a guest, Viva, says USA Now. I want to see if there's any questions. No tipping, no question, just tipping for a great conversation, says resident Bedouin. My family actually left France, Germany in 1743 to come to America because of religious persecutions. Feeling attacked over religion has been happening for literally centuries, says this is crazy. Um, don't be so hard on yourself, Viva. It's not all lack of patience. We learned from you, from your leaked car vlog, that the hormones you are taking can make you irritable once a month. All right. Um, and then we got a city in Bryson Hall, a beautiful picture here from Jeanette Victoria. What are you, um, so what are your longer, I mean, this is going to be a very uh, uh, broad question. Long-term goals. Like, do, do you, I, I don't know how many teachers are, are, are patient, passionate. Do you want to do this? What do you, what do you see yourself doing in, in, in 10 years from now? Hmm. Wow. <laughs> There's so much has changed. Every day, by the way. <laughs> so much has changed in the last week that I, I'm having to analyze this very quickly, you know, because there's new possibilities that were not there five days ago. I don't know if they're actually there possibilities, but I know that I would be, I know I would regret it forever if I did not try and pursue my dreams, given this opportunity to my best of my ability. And I know what regret feels like, and it's one of the worst things. And I want to avoid that at all costs. So I'm going to try and grow the YouTube channel, the Secret Scholar Society. 
I really would like to bring that movie, the full feature film to life. That little 20 minute thing is just kind of a thought experiment or a development exercise. I would really, I think it's a fascinating story that should be brought to light. Um, so that's a major goal of mine. My dream is to do something. I love what the Daily Wire is doing with with their movie work, with movie and television, the Pendragon cycle, it just challenging Hollywood. It's so bold and they're so swift and decisive. It's really inspiring to see that be the ultimate dream would be to end up somewhere like that. Not that I even have the capacity or they would invite me to do anything like that, but that would be the dream to do something like that and be able to to pursue my passion of creating content, movies, podcasts, whatever it is, as a filmmaker, and perhaps continue um, something like this as well. That would be the dream. Yeah, it, it, it is amazing. Like the, the there's two things. Being a teacher, we all know is it's it's a thankless job, both um, not spiritually all the time, but spiritually much of the time, financially most financially, of the time. and. The idea, like you love you, if you love reaching people and you love changing minds through persuasion, well, you, there are a multitude of ways of doing it: open discussion, teaching, but also film. Like one of the, I don't want to pin you politically or ideologically because um, I don't know. Massachusetts still strikes me as being somewhat of a blue state. Uh, yes, a blue it state. Is. Um, but like you know, there is something of a culture war going on where you've had the degeneracy of Hollywood conditioning, I say, the world to um, tolerate and even uh, worship degeneracy. And there should be some pushback to that. I've, I've only come around to this relatively recently, uh, within the last years, but like there needs to be some sort of ideological, uh, a, a, a good way of countering that. Mm-hmm. And you know, making films to change minds is, this, is, is as, as righteous and wonderful as sitting down with, with an 18-year-old kid and making them understand. Something. Here's the other side of that coin, though, that's interesting. Because if, we make, if we're making a movie to change minds, is that not by definition propaganda? Is that not by definition the exact, same, the exact thing that we dislike from the other side when, they're, when they do it and we call it out? That's different, though, than telling a true story, such as The Sound of Freedom where you are documenting something that needs to be told not to change perhaps it's, but it's about a reality that is actually happening. You're bringing an actual story to life that is actually true. Now, when you get into the realm of creating a fictional story to then change minds on a topic that would by definition. Well, the propaganda, I would say changing minds, if it's, um, well, now, now you're making me think about this. Changing minds in terms of presenting what you think are the worthwhile belief systems. I, I don't know if that's, I mean, is it propaganda? Propaganda typically is you assume that it has to be inaccurate um, or politically or uh, ideologically driven for uh, another purpose other than the truth itself. And so like trying to convince someone that two plus two equals four is not propaganda, it's just... But that's why I said science. sound of freedom would be true. It's a true thing that's happening. That's why I said if it's if it's fictional though. Well, because it's then you're deciding and... what's true. That's the problem. And and it's maybe propaganda is not the right right word. It's just that I manipulation. Know, I know that it bothers a lot of people when we see it from Disney or other people others on the we it, it's identified often and people have a big issue with it. So I don't know if the solution is to engage in the same dirty tactics well you see that but this is where i obviously think you're, you're, if it's done from the morally 
uh, the morally correct position. Like but who gets to decide what's morally correct? Well, I don't know. I, I, I would take like, a, what was it? Lolita is not morally correct. Train spotting in, although I even fight on train spotting because train spotting, some might say it glamorizes drug use. It normalizes uh, the awfulness of it. But, you know, I, I believe many people were traumatized after seeing that movie who would have an aversion to drugs okay. and not think it's a glamorous lifestyle. Pulp Fiction, on the other hand, might make it look a little more glamorous. I'm trying to think, Requiem for a Dream, if anybody hasn't seen that, will traumatize anybody out of a number of <laughs> risky behaviors. So if you have movies that celebrate the good instead of glamorizing the evil, I think that's what most people mean when they say, like, have an alternative to hip-hop music that, you know... That, I that see what just, you mean. Yeah, uh, like, tra- but to me, like, Train Spot is just a, a cool movie. It's just, a, I think I'm, I'm not about censorship. I think artists should be able to make, if you want to make Train Spotting, you want to make a movie that some might say, like, Quentin Tarantino, some might say that glamorizes violence at the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, violence towards women or what, you can always find a problem. Artists should be able to do what they want. You know, and then if you don't like the movie and you think that it's political messaging from Disney, don't go and see the movie. The, that's the beauty of the free market. The free market will respond and keep things in line. I, you know, my, my issue, and it's only again living in retrospect, is I never had any issue with morally degenerate movies, plots, like, you know, things that glamorize violence, glamorize. I don't know if you ever heard, well, I've never seen the movie called A Serbian Film, and uh, it, it was. Um, the guy at the movie place back in Montreal 20 years ago said I should like said I should watch it if I liked a bunch of other movies. It's a, Google it afterwards. I, I don't have any problem with movies being made that glamorize what most people consider to be morally depraved. It's only once I realized that it was actually going on behind the closed doors anyhow. And so this wasn't like uh, art. This wasn't art in a, in, a, in a void. This was really like their art r- representing or reflecting their reality. And once I understood that it was actually the reality, I can no longer go and watch these movies. Understanding that this was actually happening to, to some degree behind closed doors, it makes it all dirty. Whereas, uh, you know, that just might be the nature of the beast. But I love I love those movies growing like Reservoir. I mean, I grew up on Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction. I hate the new ones because I don't like the historical revisionism of mm. otherwise historical events. But uh, I had no problem with it until I realized, holy crap, they are all a bunch of sexual, moral, depraved deviants. And I guess it started with Harvey Weinstein. But well, dude, I would say it didn't start with him. It's been it, it there was for way longer than that. It's just he was in a way he might have been a scapegoat for it. They kind of all piled on him and said, look, used him so that we can go avoid any attention in that way, because there's a lot of depravity. So that's a possible well, then, and then you, and then you, then you think back like, holy crap! Uh, most people don't necessarily fully appreciate the scope of um, Roman Polanski and all of the, de- oh, yeah, like, all of the degeneracy. It was, yeah. it's been there forever. And people don't fully comprehend the crazy things that go on in Hollywood, on a movie set, and uh, yeah, it's. Just... Well, hold on. I, I didn't want to ask you before, but now we've gone full circle. Oh, can you share any particularly? Um, traumatizing revelatory experience that you had in Hollywood that might confirm my bias or contradict it. Cause I have an open mind. <laughs> I was never, I was never, I never had any, um, a producer oh, well, make sexual advances strange. on you for, to, I don't for success. think I was a little, I don't, I shouldn't even talk about it. I don't, I don't think I was tipsy one night in New York and he wanted, but he was, I think he was waiting for an escort. I don't know what he was. I don't know what that, I don't think that would count. Um, it was more things like I worked for this lady, uh, a talent manager. I don't know if she's still active in New York and she was just, it was just exploitive. She told me, Oh, let me give you an internship in New York. You're going to come spend the summer in New York. 
and work, you know, it was unpaid. So I, I moved to a dorm, an NYU dorm for the summer. And then and she would just be so rude. And I would show up because I was trained, show up early, 10 minutes early. She would say, I told you to be here at two, not 145. Stand outside. And I'd be like, are you, what? Stuff like that. And then she goes, I don't think I'm going to need, um, I don't think I'm going to need an intern. So I was like, I just moved to New York to work for you for free. It was, it's just, and then she even took it for, there's things like that, that it's just the, the, the state of character. It's like, how are you, how do you sleep at night? Some of the, the some of the, the business practices as well, just the uh, Hollywood accounting and the way that they rip off independent filmmakers with distribution deals, knowing that they're blatantly ripping them off. It's a, and it's just common. It's accepted. You're like, yep, this is, it's Hollywood account. There's slang for it. There's terminology for it. Hollywood accounting. Um, the drugs and uh, sexual depravity is as prevalent as anybody thinks. Yeah. I, I knew, uh, well, this is going back, so no one can identify this person. In, someone in the investment banking world. And it's like, it, it, I mean, it's, it's like uh, that movie, uh, Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, maybe not with the, the midget tossing, but um, it, it was, and this the guy hung with, I never, I never did anything, people. We used to play squash together, but the stories I would get, uh, wild, uh, could, could never, could never survive one minute in there. I think I would feel dirty just inhaling the same. Yeah. I mean, I was a 20, air. I was a 22 year old kid when I was in New York doing that. So it was, let me, let me bring this up here. Cause we, I think we have a few, there's more comments here. Let me see here. Uh, 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 where did it go? Uh, universities were once institutions to teach you how to think for yourself. Then, then they were shifted to make a corporate workforce. Now it's a weapon for the liberal left. They've infiltrated the corporations. And we got Joe Maskew says a thought experiment for you. What is untrue about the fiction that is Shakespeare's works? Warren, I'm going to field this one to you because I don't think I can possibly answer it. Can you read that one again? Yeah. What is the fiction? What is untrue about the fiction that is Shakespeare's works? I don't, I don't think anybody would say it's fiction. I thought they would say it's, uh, it's, well, it's, it's I think it. it goes back to the archetypes, the uh, uh, tapping into you know, there's the saying that all stories have been told before. And some even say that Shakespeare was able to tap into all those stories at one point, and they were all just retelling his stories. The fiction. Because all of Shakespeare, that was all fictional, right? He didn't, none of that was, I don't think. Well, I mean, based on real characters, I think the issue about the Merchant of Venice was that it was okay. maybe too accurately based on, on real roles at the time, and it since became politically... Politically yeah. incorrect. I don't know, honestly. I don't know if I can give a, that, a very good answer to that, but I do. I just think that he was tapping into those very structures, those archetypical structures, and the the heroes, the not even the heroes, but the, f the fear of betrayal and the blood that cannot wash from our hands, and our, the fear of sin. It goes back to the whole question about God. Even if you don't believe in God, if you say you don't believe in God, why do you fear? hell in some sense still the blood that won't wash from your hands these are all just it, do you remember the, was the punchline of the merchant of venice that they argued that you could get the pound of flesh but you can't get any blood or anything else with it? i'm not sure okay because i i've always been thinking of the the retort to that would have been the pound of flesh necessarily involves implies blood and all the other stuff that so you can go grab it um there's another question here hold on let me bring this one up and this is from a familiar face arkansas crime attorney well, your YouTube channel has grown during this conversation. You just topped 14,000 subscribers. 
I, oh, I, thank you. You are also on Rumble, right? Because I, I didn't share that. Link. I just set it up on Friday, and it's got one video and then a Pierce Morgan interview that wow, happened. That, that'll do good. Uh, send me the link afterwards. I'll put it in the, in the pinned comment. Uh, Ginger Ninja, I actually I want to also add this to the Nazi hypothetical. Your Nazi hypothetical, the few locals that did push back and fight back there was one demographic that was wildly overrepresented in that group, religious people. Part two, religious people don't easily bow to man's dictates. Yes, because they have, um, a, higher, they have a higher priority. They're not as af afraid of death. If there is nothing after life, then you're going to fear death above all. And then you're more likely to do what you have to do to survive and you will fall in line. And when they come, yeah, you'll become a Nazi to survive if you have to. Yeah, it um, makes sense. It's logical. Yeah, well, and then there's, um, well, then there's the, the, the flip side. is Not to be a Nazi, I just mean like why you would, <laughs> well, if, no, if I, you I, would be more likely to resist if you believed in, though I'm sure there was good people that didn't believe in God that had this, the uh, bravery to not, and the wisdom. The, 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 the push is that everybody always says, you know, like, um, I wouldn't be a Nazi, or I wouldn't be a Nazi. And then some people will say, well, what are you going to do to survive? You're either going to fight to the death, or you're going to fall in line, or you're going to kill. And it's, it's the it's the thing that I struggle with. Where like I, I I'll fight to a point, but like you know, if, if survival just taken into a reductio and absurd, if survival means I have to just go walk around killing babies, I'll probably prefer to die. In that and it, universe. it was also done in such they knew it, it was done in such a methodical way that they often didn't realize what they were. It, it was done incrementally, so you it's easier to become evil. It's easier to fall into the practices of Hollywood if it's one step at a time and you see everyone else doing it and you're ordered to do it. And there they just, I forget what they would do. They would desensitize it. They would have, to, they would bring I, I call, them all I call, out. Call it political grooming. It's, it's, it's get you, get you conditioned each step at a time. We, we, we've lived through it now. And now that I've lived through it, I remember sitting there mm -hmm. and people have heard this anecdote, but with my dad in March, 2020, April, 2020, and we're like, holy crap everyone's gone crazy and that was just the beginning of it and then three years later people like you know wash your hands five times and wear two masks because they've been conditioned step by step had you asked them three years earlier could you ever foresee yourself wearing two masks outside they'd say no of course not. i'm not crazy yeah. and then, which and is why it's so important that we have first principles and we recognize those for me i for me there's certain lines this is how i would describe there's certain lines philosophically i think we should not cross such as racism i think everyone should be treated equally regardless of race gender sexuality uh religion and no exceptions are to be made not on a case-by-case -case basis regardless of how noble the intentions are and often i can understand the nobility of the other side's intentions it's easy to step under say why can't you just so that so when Let's take an example, Jordan Peterson refusing to use, and as a Canadian, I'd be interested to know your thoughts on this. Uh, was it B Bill C? 16, back in the day. Well, why is that such a big deal? Why can't you just do this one thing? It's just a small thing because it's crossing a line that I won't cross and I understand because I understand it's a slippery slope once you do cross that line at any capacity and the long-term ramifications are what we're talking about in the Nazi scenario, which sounds crazy, but that is incrementally how it occurs. Well, the, 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 the also fascinating thing is the way the language gets abused, where you say, I, I'll, I will treat everyone equally, and I believe in it, you know, everyone equally without exceptions. 
Except people, are gonna say, yeah. <laughs> people are going to say, well, by treating everyone equally, you're not treating everyone equally. You're actually, by treating everyone equally, you're actually committing, you know, generational injustice. And it's, it's, it's the amazing thing of, of weaponizing words to actually not, mm -hmm. to, to have the, the opposite meanings. But the Bill C-16, I was wet behind the ears back in the day. Uh, Jordan Peterson was saying, look, it's going to go from this to compelled speech. Back in the day, well, actually, that particular amendment was adding as aggravating factors, among other things, aggravating factors to certain crimes, gender expression. And mm -hmm. then Peterson's like, well, this is going to result in compelled speech. And yeah. I said at the time, you know, we, we're not there yet. There is the expression, bad cases make for bad law, but we have a court system. I've now since to, uh, come to learn what the court system will do. <laughs> Push comes to shove. But yeah, it's, um, I, I, I've, I've reached my threshold on that. At one point it was like, yeah, okay, you, you want me to call you? If I don't know you're a he or she, like, there's a few people if I if I genuinely don't know or thought Blair White, uh, who's a, who's a I think she says transsexual now, and people say, well, why do you call Blair she? I thought Blair was a, a, like a, a bi. I thought Blair was a woman before I knew that she was a transsexual, and so that stuck with me. This other person, Buck Angel, on Twitter, I thought he was a man before I found out he was transsexual. So when it's something that doesn't shock my own reason, uh, observational reality, it's not much of an issue. When it comes to but, but then I discovered it was a question of subjugation, ideological subjugation. Do it and be subservient to my, uh, my demands on you. And, and then that's when I stopped playing the game. But this, this type of discussion can get you into trouble. So I don't want to, uh, I don't want to, uh, I, I don't want to put you in more hot water than you, than you might, you know, you're not in there now. You, you should be an asset, by the way, to any university, especially the one that you're at. And anybody who doesn't see that is blind, period. Um, Warren. Are you watching the Super Bowl this afternoon? <laughs> <laughs> if, I'm going to see if I can find it online. Is it playing anywhere online for free? Because I don't have. I don't cable. know. The only reason I ever watch it is for the commercials and me too. <laughs> um, and I and I'll to spend time with my best friend and his parents in Canada. But yeah, now I'm yeah. going to spend it with my parents here. If I can find um, it, I'll watch it and turn it on. It, it's not. I mean, the game is a game. I'm, I, I'm thinking of maybe I'm not going to gamble. That that, that would open a door. Who's doing the halftime this year? Is it, is you it, know, who's playing? I, I would have said Taylor music? Swift, but I have no idea. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, Super Bowl halftime show. Super Bowl halftime show. Who's performing at the 2024? The full list of the singer. Come on. How, how it looks like this guy. Hold on. Let me share a screen here. I don't know who he is. Who's performing at the really? Super Bowl? Um, Who's performing the Super Bowl? Get all of this crap out of here. Usher. Okay. Usher. Usher. Usher's okay. At the Apple Super Bowl halftime show. Okay. I don't, I don't know. I couldn't name a song from Usher Whatever. offhand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, Warren, what I, what I actually, um, I'm very relieved about is that you're, you're actually wiser than, so the, the, you should not become the Bart Simpson, I didn't do it boy. And it's not going to be your curse to be known for the one thing because you are, in fact, it, it wasn't, uh, it's clearly not a one-off and it's clearly something deeper within you. You're an actually a, a very, very smart and oh, awesome thank you. person. No, I, I, I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I really like, appreciate like that. An hour and a half, you get to know somebody and this, it's not a fluke. It's not something that was out. It was not just a, a, a lightning in a bottle type event. It's amazing. I think you have a talent, you have a skill, you have a demeanor, thank a you. composure that is uh, invaluable. And I say that because any university that doesn't appreciate that um is is blind now um oh, thank you sticker oh hold on a second there might there okay sorry sorry i don't, I don't want to keep you for too long i just want to i'll bring this up because there's more 
questions, I think, and then I'm going to get to the questions in our vivabarnslaw.locals.com community. Joe Maskew, in the re-Shakespeare truth question, I would caution you to judge a factual story. Uh, SOF, I don't know what that means. So, I don't know what that means. Any differently from a fictional story value-wise. No, no, I don't think anybody would do that anyhow. All stories serve as proving grounds for moralities. This is Joe Maskew. Mighty Megatron. This is for Warren Smith. Does he agree with the... Uh, <laughs> you don't have to answer, Warren, because you still I, we don't want to get you in trouble. Do, do you agree with, quote, the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of the patriots and tyrants? Thomas Jefferson. We'll just do move I on. I not to... Not to uh, unless that, you wanna... It depends on the circumstances, but... Do I, I don't think it's a matter of if I agree with it. If the... Cer I mean, who knows... What could happen in the future? Like we saw, yes, in the Revolutionary War, it was it was necessary. The, the other think, thing is, yeah, you, you know, could say it, that accurately. In as much as expressions evolve contextually, the the spilling of the blood, you know, of the tyrants. It, it I mean, I'm not to, not trying to be overly pretentious. It doesn't yeah. necessarily adapted in the future mean real blood. It might just mean, uh, it, I say, spiritual or ideological. But at some point, there has to be a cleansing of the ideology that is that is corrupting the system. I and see it what you mean. Necessarily need to be yes, violent. I wouldn't say that we have a tyrant. We are not. We are not in a position where we have a tyrant now who needs to have their blood spilled. Is how I would respond. Yeah, we are. In, we are in a position where there have been institutions infiltrated, and violence won't be the answer, but some sort of ideological um, up upgrade. Yeah, we don't want or, civil war. We do not want cle civil cleansing. War. Is also a bad word. We can't use um, or you can't. It carries a lot of weight. Uh, what do we got here? Arkansas crime. Okay, we got that one. I, a thought experiment. Okay, we got that. Universities were once institutions. We got that. This is for one Smith. Okay, and then let me bring this out and see if there's anything in our Viva Barnes Law that I didn't get to. And then we're going to uh, I'm going to go see what, what trouble that kid's been getting into. We got a dart gun, not a dart gun, a Nerf gun. <laughs> it shoots 120 feet, yeah, and that in it it hurts. There's like the short ones, um, but it's, we're gonna we're gonna go have fun with that. Okay, refresh this. USA Now says, Comment les gens ont-ils pu être aussi naïfs? And this is okay. This is classic. I'll, I'll, you don't speak French, Warren, by any chance? No. Okay, so hold no. on. Am I going to be able to bring this one up? This is, this is fantastic. I'll, I'll translate it, but uh, here. This is a meme from our community. It's a guy reading Germany, 1933-1945. He says, how could people have been so naive? And he's wearing a mask and the visor. And um, that, is, that is poignant. Mm. Where can people find you? On the YouTube channel. You'll give channel. me all the links, but you'll, yes, you'll give I'll me all give the, you links. the links. It's Warren Smith dash secret scholar society on youtube we're going to be moving over to rumble as well but primarily right now we're going to be doing a weekly podcast on the secret scholar society so i really appreciate your support subscribe it's going subscribe to be if you want to support us i'm doing that immediately jeanette victoria says correct i am a committed christian i will have to share what the lgbt bullies did to my photography business with lawfare Oh, Jeanette, we're going to talk about that. Mighty Pez says, I was speaking with someone who teaches at Harvard. Everyone is almost being compelled to discuss and be pro-Palestine. We're not going to get into this now at all, but this person is Jewish and afraid uh, to be fired if they disagree. Even students are demanding this from professors. Does he see a way out of the university-compelled thought and speech? I guess you can open, answer that last part. Open dialogue. Oh, the only way to is... I think there are good professors out there who are too afraid to speak and I, I when you when you're in that environment you can understand it you can feel it I was at Emerson I was afraid to when I was told to sit there for three hours 
during a class when we were discussing these protests, calling Emerson racist. And I was told, along with two other white students, that we couldn't speak because of the color of our skin. I was thinking, well, that fundamentally crosses that line I mentioned earlier about everyone should be treated the same, regardless of the race. And But I couldn't say anything because then your classmates would ostracize you. Then you have to make your thesis project and no one will work with you. So I, I um, the solution is not easy. It's not easy, but it's it's going to come from having dialogue, having conversation, not being afraid, uh, standing up and saying that it's it's going to start by by not casting insults such as wokeisms and and generalizations, but getting specific about truths that can actually be dismantled using logic. That's the that's the only way to do is to get specific. Don't be afraid to. Let me just Google something here. Logic white supremacy. Is that is that one on the list? I'm not sure yeah. if logic made the list of... <laughs> uh, but no, the, the whole point is at some point, like even the logic becomes the problem. I, I say on the one hand, obviously open dialogue and obviously having professors and teachers that are courageous to stand against the fray. Uh, but the bottom line, uh, you know, like Kill Bill 2, F him with your... What did he say? F him with your cash. At some point... They, uh, at some point, these universities are going to understand they need to retain the intellectual talent and not the intellectual demagogues, and it's going to hurt them financially. And when it does, then yes, financially, it's the competitive market that's right. going to hit their pocketbooks, and that's when they're going to having competitors like PragerU, things like you were talking about. Yeah. Absolutely. And then we got Passion Moyer says, Warren, my observations are that the hardest step is to ignore the voices around you. Thanks for addressing that. And then Viva, enjoy the Super Bowl. I'm just going to enjoy seeing my parents. So Viva, not to belabor the point, but SOF is... Oh, Sound of Freedom. Okay, Joe, I'll ask you. Um, all right, th this has been amazing, Warren. Yeah. And, um, and I'm, I'm, thank you for doing it and not being... I mean, I'm, I'm afraid that you did it because it's... Um, yeah, it's the, the world is crazy and, and, and people lash out, backlash, cancel, whatever. So thank you for agreeing to this, but... I, Everyone and your university, wherever it is you teach, they have to appreciate that you're an asset and that the world needs more teachers and people who will treat students like intellectual equals um, in, yes, a, in a way. I agree. So stick yeah. around. We'll say our proper goodbyes. Everyone else out there, uh, I'll probably, yeah, I might get in the car and do a car vlog this afternoon because um, I don't <laughs> know if you heard. They don't, they're trying to bypass the confirmation hearings, Senate hearings, or confirmation hearings for uh, that guy, John Podesta. So I might just refresh everybody's memories as to why people cool. need to ask John some questions. But Warren, stick around. We'll say our proper goodbyes. Everyone else out there, Absolutely. enjoy Super Bowl Sunday. Thank you. Yeah, for enjoy. Coming. Thanks, everybody.